Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. We are live, we are ready to go, we are focused, and we are so happy it's Friday. Sporting Tribune, Adrian Hernandez here, and right off the top of the show, from the top rope, there's things that I love about today, okay? First off, like I said, it's Friday. That means the weekend's here. I'm a huge gamer. Game of the year just dropped. Spider-Man 2 in stores, available now. Should be playing it right now, but we're going to take a minute to connect with you to get you through your day, and that's no problem, okay? So that's the thing I love. And then also, something that, how do I put this respectfully? Something that is almost as good as sex is when you create an agenda, and that agenda can just grow and get bigger and better and continue to be the truth, which is why I said it a year ago. And here I stand on October 20th, 2023. And that same thing I said a year ago is even truer now than it was then. And that is simply that Las Vegas is the sports capital of the world, ladies and gentlemen. Adrian Hernandez, it's the Sporting Tribune. And let's get straight into it. Aces win the WNBA title becoming the third team in the 27-year history of the WNBA to go back-to-back, doing it for the first time since 2002 with the LA Sparks and Lisa Leslie doing it back then. So over 20 years since that happened, and Becky Hammond, head coach, who was coached in the WNBA for two years, and in those two years has won the Commissioner's Cup, been inducted into the Basketball Naismith Hall of Fame. And then has two championships in her two years of coaching. And isn't the highest paid coach in the WNBA, by the way. But we don't have enough time for that. We don't. We don't. We don't. Because we need to talk about this team and its greatness. What can I, what can I say, actually, now that I think about it, when I say we need to talk about them? Like, look at this city, all right? In less than a year... We've had three parades. We've gone back to back to back. Could you imagine if the Raiders were actually half decent and were competitive? Whew, that would be nuts. Well, let's go through the calendar if we could. Let's take it back to September 20th, 2002. The first parade in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Aces. Then we go a couple months back, June 18th to be specific, the Vegas Golden Knights, which I learned, by the way, not a big hockey guy. All right, not a big hockey guy. I was harassed online via X because I said the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I was told it was the Vegas Golden Knights. Whatever. It's cool. I won't won't make that mistake again. I should know that. I live here. But anyway, the Vegas Golden Knights, their parade June 18th, 2023. 
And then this upcoming Monday, that would be October 23rd, another Las Vegas Aces Championship Parade. Again, building and construction's almost done. F1's coming to town. Honestly, I think that's going to be a huge bust, but hey, whatever. Thanks for coming here. Then the college basketball world invades Las Vegas, as it usually does with conference tournaments and opening season tournaments, as LSU and Angel Reese will open up their season, and then USC and... Well, he'll be in the building. Don't know if he's playing because of his health concerns, but Bronny James will be here. That'll lead in to the NBA in-season tournament. That'll lead in to the damn Super Bowl. Not a bad run these past six months when it comes to events. Matter of fact, with the dates I just told you, hasn't been a bad run in this city for the past 13 months. And it's... um. It's cool, man. I'm getting emotional. I'm getting exhausted. Listen, I'm hungover. We've been partying. We've been celebrating, man. And we should. I love basketball, and this team's amazing. And what they did was ridiculous. The circumstances to go into New York, Barclays Center, 17,000, talking to people that I know in Brooklyn that cover the Nets who were in the building for that game, say that it was arguably louder than Game 5 between the Nets and the Bucks with Giannis or excuse me, with KD wearing a shoe a little bit too big with his foot on the line. So in the game that the Nets could have won to secure and probably at that point, hypothetically, go to the NBA Finals, that important of a game in Brooklyn and Barclays Center, the Game 4 of the WNBA Finals, which was sold out, was loud as hell. And under those circumstances, with Chelsea Gray, one of the best point guards in the world, men's, women's, it doesn't matter, Aliens, animals, whatever. Best point guard in the world. Period. Period. Gone. First time missing a game in the finals in her career, in the playoffs in her career. She goes out. Starting center, Kia Stokes goes out. They suit up eight players. Liberty's talking junk. They win a game three. They try to you know, try to get back into the series because Las Vegas was up 2-0. They win game three. At the end of the game, Sabrina Ionescu over here talking smack to the Aces players on the bench. That bench that doesn't really get to see time because this team's so talented and on a six-player rotation, which had to obviously be changed when 33% of that equation, two out of the six, are injured and can't play. And the bench steps up and Sabrina Ionescu... Looking kind of quiet. Your moment in these finals was ESPN having cameras on you during a timeout in the fourth quarter of a deciding game four with your season on the line. You throwing up into a garbage can. That was your moment. And then we come to find out after the game that you were talking smack to some of the players that ultimately then had to play after being on the bench an entire season and help win a championship team on win a championship on the road. Crazy. But Sabrina Inescu, again, this is a woman who's been in the league for four or five years. This year she made an all-star team, so it was her second time making an all-star team. She had an incredible one of the greatest three-point contests of all time. Um highly touted coming out of Oregon, I believe. Out of the Pac-12, just to make sure no one tweets at me mean things again. Um, 
And, you know, she gets the cover of NBA 2K24 this year in stores now. If you want to get that WNBA edition, you got her on the cover. Her performance in the finals was terrible. I don't even have the numbers. I don't want to look them up. What I do know is through the first two games of the series, she was shooting two for ten and had ten total points. Excuse me, 17 total points. She scored ten points game two. Or game one, excuse me. She scored seven points in game two. So ten points in the first game, seven points in the second game. That's 17 total points from someone on the cover of a video game. And if we're for fair treatment, that's some James Harden stuff right there, ladies and gentlemen. It just is. It is. And it's crazy. The Liberty ended up getting fined actually after game four because they only spoke to the media in the press conference room. They only sent two players and the head coach. They spoke and then the rest of the players were not made available. This is actually against the rules. It's against the rules in most in all professional sports here in America where you at least have to be available for, you know, the team, excuse me, has to be available to speak to the media. And they all kind of said, yo, I'm going to duck and I'm going to lose. And I know there's some people being like, well, Adrian, like it's a devastating loss, probably the most devastating loss of their career. Their season's over being so close to winning a championship. Yeah, no, no, no. I understand. I understand. But one of the reasons why you get paid so much money um, in any professional sport is not only because you're immense talent on the on the court, but the one thing you got to deal with is people like me and talking to us and... The coverage should be the same whether it's the most amazing win or the most devastating loss. That's how stories are told. And also, like, you opened your mouth talking trash about a team and y'all didn't show up and y'all got embarrassed on your court for a championship and now you don't want to talk to nobody? It's crazy. Like, if you think about it, it's crazy. But yo, guess what? This Monday, Parade will be here in Las Vegas. I will be at the parade. We're going to be shooting lots of video content and taking a different approach. Now that I'm used to these parades, I guess, I now know how to approach it differently. Um, but we're going to try to take you inside the parade that I don't even know where it's going to be. Yo, for people that are not here in Las Vegas, F1 construction has messed up the strip for months. And now that we're a month away, it's messed it up the most. Okay, last minute. They're trying to prepare stuff. I think this whole thing is going to be a debacle. Like, I'm hoping for the best. I just have a feeling that, like, these bleachers that they have in front of the Bellagio, like, I don't trust anything being built. Period. Anything being built. Because the Miami race, the one that we've had a couple years, if you've never been to Sun Life Stadium where the Miami Dolphins play, like, that's not in Miami. That's, like, 30 minutes out from the city. And it's a suburb around it. And they essentially built this city within a Sun Life Stadium and around it, I should say. And they had the space to do that. Not even really, but they had the space. There was a lot of grass. There was a lot of area. They messed up a lot of people's living that lived down there. But they don't care. But you can't do that here on the Strip. Not because we're more important. Because the Strip is like, there's stuff here. This isn't just land and a couple homes. No, they don't even know, like, for the people trying to work the event. They don't know anything. They still don't have plans for employees for people to work this event. Where they're going to go, where they're going to park. People trying to actually go to the event. We have no idea. Although, I'm assuming it's not going to be most locals. The ticket prices have gone down. 
There's like local prices now for people that live in the state. The hotel rates were like over a thousand dollars a night six months ago. You can find one on the strip for like two hundred or three hundred. It's crazy, man. I think this is gonna be like a humongous bomb. At least this year, a humongous bomb. And they're not leaving the greatest impression. And I go on this tangent about F1. Because I'm just letting y'all know that I don't know where this parade's gonna be. Because it was in front of the Bellagio Fountains last year. That can't really happen because there's only one lane of traffic on the strip and most of it either direction. So wherever this is, wherever it's gonna be, we'll be there. The fans will be there. We're taking our cameras. We're going inside the parade and giving you a true feeling, hopefully for next week. Some of the... We'll, we'll see how people are doing. Last time, was a lot of people drunk, a lot of people celebrating. Sometimes they say naughty words that we can't say on the radio. But we'll try to clean it up and give you a sneak peek here on the radio. Um, of course, Steve Carp, Willie G. Ramirez... I'm not sure. We got a whole bunch of people here in Vegas. Kevin E. Martin might pull up. Arash Markazi might pull up. We'll have to see. This Monday, though, is going to be a celebration, which is perfect the night before the season tips off in the NBA. Speaking of which, National Basketball Association. Coming up here, segment two of the Sporting Tribune today. Carlos Boozer is joining the show. He has a new book out, and we're going to talk to him about that. And actually, here's the thing. In my history of being on the radio for eight or seven years, somehow, thankfully, I've been able to talk to a lot of people. And it's been amazing and it's been a joy. And I can say this in all honesty. This interview with Carlos Boozer is probably a top five. Um, If you didn't know, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. And basketball is the sport that kind of led me down the path of this being my profession. That's... That's like my first love when it comes to talking about anything. Like I can talk basketball for days. And that all started going to what is now, what is it? The Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, whatever. It used to be the Gundarina. Okay. The Cavs were terrible. Office, awful. Darius Miles, Zadrinus Ogaskis, Ricky Davis, and Carlos Boozer. So it was cool to get to talk to someone that like... I grew up in that arena, even though there was only like 300 of us there because the team was bad and nobody was showing up. We were one of those that were showing up, though. So a lot of admiration for him. But we do get into like, yo, he left for Utah, man. He left LeBron (laughs) in LeBron's second year and left for Utah. Ultimately, doesn't win an NBA Finals in his career. Doesn't get to go to one. Uh, They went to a Western Conference Finals in, was it, 20... 2009, the year that it was the Magic versus the Lakers, it was the Cavs versus the Magic, and then it was the Jazz versus the Lakers, and the Jazz and the Magic were trying to play spoiler and preventing us from that Kobe and LeBron NBA Finals that we never got because the Magic beat the Cavs, but the Lakers took business of the Jazz. So, Carlos has never won an NBA championship, and... If you go back and look at LeBron's career, 2007, LeBron gets past Detroit, and Rasheed Wallace, Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, Tayshaun Prince, that whole group, he gets past them, makes the finals. They get swept by the big three, Ginobili, Duncan, and Parker, and Greg Popovich. 
but they make the finals and then Boston assembles their big three to prevent LeBron from beating them again. And here we are. <laughs> so I asked Carlos about, yo, leaving Cleveland. Do you regret leaving Cleveland in terms of a basketball sense? Because one of the biggest reasons he did leave the Utah is financials. And I don't ever pick somebody's, I ain't looking through people's wallets and going like, well, I'm saying we, we don't pocket count, you know, you know what I mean? And with the money that he was offered, I don't blame him. But we get into that. We get into the 2010 free agency that he was a part of. Of course, that was the year LeBron goes to Miami and makes the decision. But it was just a chaotic NBA free agency that kind of led the way to where we are right now in the league. And, yo, it was a great conversation. It's ultimately like one of my favorite interviews of all time. And as a matter of fact, we actually spoke for over 30 minutes, which means we ain't going to have time to play the entire thing because I'm too hyped clowning on New York and the Liberty losing. By the way, New York team lost again. Yankees not winning a World Series this year, by the way. They haven't won a title since 2009. If you count the payroll that they've had on their teams, though, leading up to right now, like from 2009 to now, with all these teams that never won, you'd be baffled. But that's beside the point. I've been rambling on about New York losing and Las Vegas winning, and shout out to the Aces. Um, so we're not going to be able to play the entire Carlos Boozer interview, but we're going to play most of it, and the entire thing is up right now, sportingtribune.com. It'll be airing on the Sporting Tribune today on Believe. TV, Believe Sports, FUBU TV, FUBU Sports, our YouTube, and a whole plethora of streaming services. More details, sportingtribune.com. Or just hit me up on Twitter, xadrianradio93, heavyweight radio on Instagram. So that's coming up. I do need to touch on one more thing, too, man. Because I was counting on Sabrina Inescu for being on the cover of NBA 2K24 despite only being at the time that the selection was made. She's only a one-time All-Star in her entire career. Um, Sabrina Ionescu has a couple commercials, like national commercials, right? Sabrina Ionescu has her own signature shoe. And, of course, Arash Markazi asked Asia Wilson during game, post-game conference, I believe it was game one, about wearing LeBron shoe. When LeBron showed up to the game, he was courtside next to Cheryl Swoops, which is incredible. And asked about the signature shoe and should she have one and like how she feels about not having one. It was really good stuff. Um, and Arash did a great piece on that and fans showed up to the game too with signs and stuff. And it was a beautiful thing to see that support. But like, let me just lay this out real quick. Because I get real upset. Because some people like, I take awards in sports very seriously. I also take like things like video game covers of like Madden and NBA 2K. Like I take those things serious more than most people. Why? Because when you look at awards and when you look at trophies and, and covers of video games and blah, 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 blah. Like those are bookmarks that tell the story of the league so that 20 years from now, someone could look back and see oh, snap, Giannis is on the cover of this game, and he, oh, that's when the shoe came out, and this, and the third. Obviously, this was like Giannis's moment. And you could do that throughout all these different, any player, in any sport. Like, it tells the story of the league and who's really popping. And, like, a one-time All-Star 
gets a cover of a video game like she's on a team herself with the liberty with like former mvps brianna stewart another player who has a signature shoe john quell jones an actual mvp courtney vandersloot an nba champion three-point contest champion as well just like she is and it's nuts bro because on the flip side on the opposite side of the spectrum Asia Wilson has now won back-to-back Defensive Players of the Year, a multiple-time MVP, a Finals MVP, a Commissioner's Cup MVP. Did I say the Defensive Player of the Year? Yes, I did. She's WNBA champion, a back-to-back WNBA champion, a national champion in college, went to multiple national championship games. Two, by the way, one, one, lost one, has her own statue at the University of South Carolina, which, by the way, if you didn't know, South Carolina is in the deep south. If you didn't know, Asia Wilson is a black woman, a black woman with a statue in the heart of the deep south in South Carolina for her greatness. She's also one in high school, too, right? So I've named over 10 accolades. I don't have enough fingers to point them out. Just very quickly off the top of my head on some of the things that she's done. She doesn't have a shoe. She ain't on the cover of a video game. But this chick is scoring seven points in the finals. Could you imagine if LeBron scored seven points in the finals? Sporting Tribune today, Adrian Hernandez coming up with Carlos Boozer next. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big. We go all night. And here, everyone is invited to get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Still clown with the underground when we come around. Hey, it's the Sporting Tribune today, Adrian Hernandez, here to talk about a book called Every Shot Counts, a memoir of resilience from Carlos Boozer, and here to verify everything in this book because he is, in fact, Carlos Boozer. Carlos, (laughs) welcome to the show, man. How are you? Great, man. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. Uh, I told you before we started, there's Cleveland ties, so I appreciate you. Thank you for your service. There's some heartbreak, too, with that, but we'll get to that later. Um, But before we get into the book and everything, um, since it is your first time, we want to break the ice. So I'm going to start off with this question. Someone's coming to your house, and you have to show them one item, just one, to impress them. What in your house do you show them? I show them a picture of my family, my kids. I mean, that's the thing I'm most proud of is my children. There it is. That's the smart, mature answer. I like that, Carlos. <laughs> I know you went to Duke. There we go. Uh, another one, too. So this has kind of been going around the station. Uh, I've been getting some slack because Beyonce was just here in Las Vegas um, okay. a couple weeks ago. And, you know, uh, the mother of my child wanted to go, a huge Beyonce fan. And the ticket that she spent for the pair of tickets 
her and her homegirl went. You know, it was over. It was over four figures. You know what I'm saying? It was over a thousand dollars. I won't get into specifics, but a lot of people said, yo, that's way too expensive. But since I've had my five-year-old son, I've kind of flipped. Like I could care less about objects. I'm all for experience. Yeah. Where do you say? Did I spend too much? Like what's the most expensive ticket you bought? Like where am I right now? No, that's the right move. I think ultimately in life, as you get older, you want experiences, right? So you want less attachments to material things and more experiences. So Beyonce, I'm going to be honest. That's probably a good experience, bro. <laughs> it is. Plus, it's better than the Usher show here in Las Vegas. Right. I'll say that <laughs> for some other reasons. Um, but let's hop into this book, man. And, you know, you kind of detail uh, everything throughout your life from from early all the way throughout your career, college, USA, like it's, it's really like it gets into everything, which I appreciate. And one thing that stuck out to me, not only reading the book, but seeing some interviews getting ready is first off, if people didn't know you grew up in Alaska, which is crazy. And you kind of detail how you ended up there. Some of the tragedy that led to that. But also um, you talked about a moment that you had in seventh grade where you were like, yo, I want to make it to the NBA. And your teacher kind of in front of the class was like, calm down. We're in Alaska should probably work at Home Depot or like have the have your dreams be a little bit shoveled. And like to me, that's crazy. And I'm curious, you setting out and fulfilling your dreams, like how that moment kind of gave you perspective now being a dad and you have your children. And now you really from experience can tell them, I don't care what the hell you want to be. You can be it because you did it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's exactly the message. Like, I think as as a father, you want to give your chance, your your kids, the chance to go after whatever they're into, and it may not be what you think they might be into, right? So, you know, think about a twelve year old kid telling his mom and dad, "Hey, I want to go to the NBA." You know, I'm getting inspired by Michael Jordan and different players, and I just love what the NBA brings and the opportunity there, and that's what I want to do when I get older. And then I go into my 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 school, and my seventh grade teacher tells me to you know lower my expectations. And tries to discourage me. And that's my message to to the readers, the audience of my book is to keep going. You know, you're going to have a dream whether you want to be a reporter or a photographer or an artist of some kind. And you're going to come to a roadblock in the road, right? Something's going to try to stop you, whether that's a teacher, whether that's financial situation, whatever it might be. My advice is keep going because ultimately either you're going to live your dream or help somebody else achieve theirs, right? Working for them. So I say keep going and go live your dream. And that's what I did. And speaking of fatherhood, um, so for me personally, in my high school career, I remember two moments, freshman year football, JV, Saturday morning game, Cleveland, Ohio, terrible weather. Dad goes to the game. I'm hyped. At mm. the end of the game, I can't find him. Mm. I walk home. He's washing dishes in the kitchen. I'm like, yo, mm. dad, where did you go? He was like, hey, I'm not going out there to watch you play like crap. We lost by 30 points. He had a good point. And then in high, in basketball further on, he got ejected from a game and banned for the season because he went onto the court and he pulled out his glasses and handed them to the ref. They didn't like <laughs> that very much. So I'm asking you with your kids and all the sports that they play. And now it's different because obviously they're getting ready to make big decisions for college. But what's your what's your dad style on the sidelines? Like, are you just cool, calm and collected or what's the vibe? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm chill, man. I don't I don't get in the referee's face too much. You know, I talk to him a little bit. 
on the low low, but now I let my kids go play. You know? I let my kids get coached and let my kids try to figure out during the course of the game like I had to. You know, if the referee's calling it tight, you know, you got to be careful. If the referee's letting stuff go, you'll be a little more physical. Um, but I, I, I like to be a dad, man. Just sit back and enjoy my kids' games, root for them, cheer them on, support them. You know, I do my coaching in the car ride home, you know, on the way after the game is over type of thing. But during the game, I'm just a dad rooting. I got the hat on. I'm rocking their jerseys. I'm I'm that dad. No, I, I love it. Um, by the way, are you kind of amazed as your kids are going through this process of picking like where they want to go play play ball at? The 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 college structure has kind of been undressed in this world of NIL. Like, are you kind of amazed how things have changed and how quickly it has? Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, I was a kid being recruited by some of these same coaches, right? And then now I'm watching my kids go through the process. My older son plays baseball. He's going through the recruiting process as a pitcher, going to college next year. And then my twins are juniors going through the process as basketball studs, trying to figure out where their, ne their next move is going to be and what, what chapter they're going to open up into. Um, it's pretty awesome, man. But the landscape is very different. You know, you have a lot of kids that are good enough to go um, right to right to college to compete right away. There's some kids good enough to go right to the NBA and have a chance to compete. You got OTE, you got Ignite. There's so many different avenues for these high school kids to try to achieve their goals. And I think also one of the most important things that you brought up was NIL, right? Now, now kids can start getting paid for their name, image, and likeness, which is a game changer. And it's influencing a ton of kids and what direction they go in. So, you know, me and mom are trying to do a good job of helping my kids navigate through this new landscape. Hey, you bring up the Ignite right down the street here in Vegas. And yeah. for your twins, this is about your twins, I should say. You've played for a lot of legendary coaches. If you had to pick one that you would want your kids to be coached by, who would that be? It's a good question. It's fair. And I think it's one of those questions I got to kind of shy away from because I don't want to put too much influence on my kids, right? Like, you know, what dad says, they listen to, right? So if I'm sitting there saying, yo, go play for X, Y, and Z, yeah. I, want them, I want them to pick their own path. You know, this is the kind of coach. I'll give you the description of the kind of coach I want my kids to play for. A coach that is married to my kids, like believes in my kids, wants to help them achieve their goals, will ride with them through the ups and the downs. Because when you, when you level up, when you go to college, you're going to go through some ups and you're going to go through some downs. And you need a coach that's going to believe in you through the downtime that sees your potential to fight through those moments. I was fortunate to have that when I went to college. It helped me a great deal to be able to kind of walk in the fire and figure out how to how to step that, how to put the fire out. You know what I mean? Like a lot of coaches will be quick on the trigger and you make a mistake and they pull you out and you never figure out how to maneuver through that moment. Um, I also want a, a place for them that they're going to nurture them and teach them and help them grow as young men outside the lines, right outside the court and help them be good individual people as they get ready for the next step after that. So whatever that coach looks like, I want them to enjoy their college experience in every way. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to uh, for my kids. And I know a lot of people bring up Coach K because obviously collegiately and then later on with Team USA, but you're also coached by Jerry Sloan. And yeah. um, this is going to be a little random. But I hope you remember this night in 2003 where Ricky Davis wanted to get his own triple-double. Ah! Um, yeah, you were on the flip side of Jerry's anger uh, on not being a part of his team. Uh, let me – there's so much I could get into, but I guess I'll leave it at this. Did Ricky tell you guys that that was the plan? No, we had no idea. I had no idea what Rick was doing. Rick, Rick was probably one of the more talented guys I played with in the league. Um, but he was very hungry for a triple-double that night. What was your reaction then when you saw that? Like, you just put your head and were like, what? 
I got a lot of love for Rick, but that, that was a moment that was like, come on, man. Like one of those, come on, man. Yeah. You ever watch those? Come on, yeah. man. Like for all the guys that got triple doubles the hard working way, like the Russell West, you know, the, the guys that really do it, that was disrespectful to them. So I was like, come on, man. Oh, man. The memories I grew up in, in the Gundari and the baby. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, and uh, when you're talking about what type of coach that you want, um, for your kids and you brought up the ups and downs that everyone has in life, not just in basketball and careers, just life in general. Um, you dealt with some resilience, just getting into the league um, draft night and you get into it in the book. Um, you get drafted late in the second round. Do you think like looking back at it now, as you've had these moments to kind of, I guess, therapeutically write this book and go through everything in your life. Do you think ultimately like that was fuel to the fire to your career and, and come out swinging, getting into training camp, making the roster and having the career that you had? Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I, I had the wrong perspective that night, you know, and I think it's something I had to grow from. Like I thought I had Is it embarrassment? No, I had a great college career, three years at Duke. I was named big man of the year. We won a championship. Like, you know, I felt entitled almost where I felt like I deserved to be in the first round. And I went, you know, I was the fifth pick in the, in the second round, early second round pick, but I thought I deserved to be a first round pick. And unfortunately the gyms and they didn't, they didn't agree. And so that left a huge chip on my shoulder, probably the size of Alaska. And I couldn't wait to go out there and prove that I belonged. You know, I went to Summer League. I destroyed Summer League, killed it in Summer League, got the vet camp, destroyed camp. I couldn't wait to just prove to all the other GMs. Because obviously, you know, the Cavs gave me my first shot. I have a huge uh, sense of respect for John Lucas, who drafted me. I'm so proud and honored. And we have a great relationship to this day that he they drafted me on draft night. Cause a lot of guys put the name in the draft. They don't hear their name get called. I was fortunate enough to hear my name get called. So, um, I, I went from being like upset, uh, to grateful, you know, and then motivated to prove like, you know, when you get when you go out for a job in the real world, nobody knows you didn't get the job, but when you yeah. go out for the NBA, everybody knows you didn't get drafted, right? So I Plus felt grateful Duke. that I, yeah, yeah I, I felt grateful that I did get drafted. And I got given this opportunity. So I wasn't going to let it go to waste, man. So when I got to practice, I was, I was the first one in the door, last one to leave. I was hungry. Like, and I took that with me throughout my entire career. Was Z, I mean, obviously the team didn't have yeah. too many vets because of what, what was going really on with the team at the time. Yeah, yeah. Super young, but with Z was your vet, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was great, man. I mean, we, we were the young gunners, man. We had myself. Obviously, we drafted LeBron the, the next year, but we had D. Miles. We had Ricky Davis, as we as we mentioned before. We had DeJuan Wagner. We had Sagana Jop. We had Chris Mim. Like we were, we had D. Miles. Like we were a young Jason Capone. squad. And then we had we had Cap. <laughs> we, had, we had Capone. Then we had Big Z, who was like the Lithuanian the Eiffel Tower. Had so much skill, great touch, great footwork, like. I spent my, my my two summers in Cleveland training with Big Z because he lived he lived right there in Cleveland, right next to me. So we go to the gym working on fadeaways, working on hook shots, working on post moves, and he taught me a lot, man. And um, I want to transition because I'm here in Vegas, so I feel obligated. Team USA, of course, this yeah. is kind of home base every yeah. summer, whether there's an Olympic or not. And you kind of yeah. you went through both sides, right? And and with yeah. the redeem the redeem team uh, documentary on Netflix really went into it a lot, and they did a great job. And being on that team in '04 with the disappointment in the bronze in '08, reclaiming everything and winning, um, and some of the changes. Coach K coming in, uh, Le LeBron, and some of these young guys kind of taking the mantle and that transformation. I want to know how that experience was as a competitor of like 
you know, I, I know that people have asked you a lot about with Kobe and Kobe's in the book and stuff, but like seeing some of these greats and how they work in their work ethic, how that changed you. And then I also need a Vegas story too, because come on, we're here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I just keep it a buck with you. Like, I think the transition for everybody on that team, it started with Kobe, bro. Like, you know, I, I'll give you the real story. Same story I, I told on the Redeem Team documentary. Like, we go out first night in Vegas, we're having a good time. It's Vegas. We Dre's, have a good time. Dre's? Uh, I think we ended up there, the late night after party Dre's, right? So Always. We ended up there. Shout out to the after party. <laughs> yeah, go to the after party, have a good time. We get back at like 4 or 5 in the morning in the hotel. Cole's walking through the lobby. And we're like, Cole, where you going? And I'm like, you know, I got goals. And I was like, okay. So we go on the elevator, and I'm looking around like, I got goals. You got goals? Like, we, like, so it's five in the morning. Go go into the weight room, get his weight room in, go get breakfast, go to practice, knock out a three hour practice, come back, get up shots at night. And I'm over here like, dude. So we all started to do that. Like, we were all all stars. We were all NBA players. Like, right? Some of us were, cha some of the guys were champions already. And we saw Kobe's work ethic, and it made us want to work even harder. That includes LeBron. That includes D-Wade. That includes Dwight Howard, Jason Kidd, like, Mello, Darren Williams, yeah. Chris Paul, like, the whole Mellow, the whole squad, Tayshaun Print, Like, we were loaded. Uh, a loaded Rock Michael Red, like, the whole squad. Next thing you know, we're lifting weights in the morning before breakfast. Then we have breakfast. Then we go get, go to practice. Then we come back and shots up at night. Like, Cole really inspired all of us to work that much harder. And then you see what happened in our careers. Like, that year, Cole won a gold medal, uh, all-star game MVP, uh, won an NBA championship, finals MVP. And I think he might have led the league in scoring that year, too. Like, that, it just set the tone for who guys were going to be after that. Like, you saw, like, Kobe was the best player in the league at that time. Then here comes LeBron after he starts putting the same work in that, that Kobe showed him how to do. Now, Bron takes the league over. Then you got Dwight Howard, the best center in basketball. Melo's one of the best scorers of all time. Like, if you just go go look at that team and what everybody accomplished after 2008, a lot of that translates to seeing how hard one of the best players ever worked. No, that's fantastic, man. Carlos Boozer joining us here on the Sporting Tribune today. His book is out now. Get it wherever. Hardcover, digital, audio book. It doesn't matter. Every shot counts. A memoir of resilience. And before we get you out of here, uh, let me hit you with some quick hitters real quick. Yeah. Um, you Since we're talking about all the greatness that you played with in Team USA and just, just around the league, especially when it just comes to power forwards, Dirk just got into the Hall of Fame. Ooh. Tim Duncan, you, Amari, KG, the list goes on and on and on and on. Who's the one guy you miss playing against? Not that you hated the most that you yeah. miss playing against, because it just it just yeah. like two heavyweights going at it. Who who would that be? Yeah, like that's a great question. Like I I think I played in the best power forward era there ever was in the NBA. You know, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, you know, Kevin Garnett, uh not only Chris that, Weber. Not only that, and I forgot to mention Chris Weber, not yeah. only did you do that. But because of that, it changed the game completely because you don't yeah. have the Suns, you don't have the Warriors and everything that happened now because that yeah. position was to be able to be stretched like that. Yeah. Chris Bosh and others like Chris yeah. Bosh's career. If he's two years later, like if you just yeah. shift his career and he takes two feet back to threes instead of mid ranges, like it's it's crazy. And that's why I asked the question, like to yeah. you, who was the one guy that was like, yo, I love playing against this guy because he brought the best out of me out of all those greats. It's it's Kevin Garnett without a question, man. KG was the kind of guy that 
you had to get go to sleep at night, get your rest. You had to watch film a couple of days early. Like he's a guy you had to really prepare, at least for me. I had to really prepare for KG because he was 7-1. He could hit. Like the shot that you want him to take is a fadeaway jump shot contested. And that's his go-to move. That's how good Kevin Garnett was offensively. And then, oh, by the way, he's also the best defensive big man I ever had to go against. He can move his feet. So going one-on-one against KG was was very difficult, right? Then in the pick and roll, not only could he guard the guard, he can get back was, and recover to you because he had the length and the size and the athleticism. He, he, he great help side defender. If you, if you beat one of his teammates, he meets you at the rim and go block it. Like, Kevin Garnett was the guy you had to get, like be on your A game for. You heard the old adage, like, iron sharpens iron. He brought the best out of me every night. And I would say also Ben Wallace because he was such a good defensive big man. I had, to, I had to have my A game against him, too. And what do you mean? Like, you just, like, every... There was no wasted steps going up against Ben, I'm assuming. No uh, wasted movements. He, he was strong as an ox, okay? So it was two heavyweights going at it, right? And then he was freakishly athletic. But you saw how good of a job he did against... Like, Shaq, you think Shaq about to have 50 against this guy in the finals, right? Ben Wallace was a problem in Detroit. Hall of Famer? Because that's always a discussion. Him and Dwight, no people question. always... Okay. They both should be in the Hall of Fame. You look at Dwight, look at Dwight's accolades. How is he not top 75? Like, if you look at what Dwight did in his career. He probably because like, he didn't win enough and people don't look into scoring it. Scoring title, defensive player of the year four times. Like, remember that one finals that we thought we were going to see Kobe and LeBron? Well, guess who messed it up? Dwight Howard. Y'all almost right? did too. <laughs> yeah, like, think, think about that. Like, Dwight Howard. And the Orlando Magic beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, so we never got that Kobe-LeBron finals. Like, Dwight should be in the Hall of Fame, no question. Also, Rashard Lewis, another power forward that changed oh, the game because he could shoot. Stretch. Uh, yeah, you stretch. Know, this conversation is making me very happy. Um, <laughs> another thing, the, the era, the era that got yeah. me to where I'm at right now. Um, yeah, truthfully, um, you getting to be a part of free agency, obviously the mm-hmm. first time in, in 03 heading into 04, or 04, mm-hmm. 05, one of those years. And then 2010, which was the crazy mm-hmm. bonanza. Um, just talk to me about those experiences and honestly, the difference of not only how things had elevated within the sport and people trying to make sure everyone's on the rosters and trying to get people signed, but then mm-hmm. the media attention, because it wasn't just yeah. that LeBron did a decision on TV, but like on the yeah. internet as Twitter and social media is starting to bubble up and be an actual factor. Like, how was that craziness? Yeah, the L4 was tough, man, because I, I honestly, I really wanted to stay in Cleveland. You know, it was one of the places that I got drafted by. We had a young group of guys. We had a young star on LeBron who was really on the rise. Even after one year, we knew he was going to be something special. And I really wanted to stay. Um, and the next thing I know, when they took away my option, and I had then I, I had three or four teams coming after me with double the money. Well, one, of the, one, of the, one of the classes I majored in in high school was math. I was really good at math. So I'm talking to the to the GMs and and talking to the owner like if you guys can even come close I'll stay. I really wanted to stay in Cleveland, but it wasn't. I mean, meant it was to a 20 mil difference allegedly, right? No, like it was a, it was a 35 million dollar difference. I promise you, I'm not trying to be like American Idol and cut it off at the good part, but it gives you more incentive to go check it out. Sporting Tribute on YouTube. This has been the Sporting Tribute today. I'm Adrian Hernandez. We'll see you next Friday. As always, much love. Be safe and enjoy the weekend, baby. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.